Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> hey, if you're a writer and you're listening to this right now, you better sit down and get yourself a damp flannel because you're about to explode with excitement fever. We have just opened up the podcast for new story submissions. The themes are alternative reality, something left on the doorstep, ghost ships, immortality, underwater and the dark web. All submission details are available at hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Get your stories in today. We're also running a brand new flash fiction contest on our Facebook group. Joshua Boucher, our lovely admin with the nuclear codes, has just posted up an incredibly disturbing picture from his private collection and it's down to you guys to write a short flash piece based on or around it. The rules are 500 words, base your story on the photograph, only one winner but you can enter multiple stories, deadline is May 23rd, post your entry in the Facebook feed and the winner will be featured on the podcast. So, to enter, head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver and join today. Today's story is The White Monkey, written by Christine and narrated by Persephone Rose. Blackened hunks of finger curled up above the steaming red mush. Pepper smell and potato wafted from the wooden bowl the horrifying scent of flesh lingering within. Charlie retched. He pressed his hands to his stomach and turned away from the low table. As he shifted his butt over the horsehide rug, pointy shafts stabbed through his thin trousers and he winced. Then another cramp came, in his left thigh this time. He wasn't used to sitting cross-legged. As he massaged his leg, he considered telling the headman that he only wanted to offer greeting and be on his way. For a brief moment, Charlie was invigorated by the possibility of fleeing from that filthy tent and the stink of dead monkey escaping away into the night. 
But Alam's strong voice lashed out from the other side of the table like a wave of wind. The white monkey is a delicacy. A long brown hand fished a dipping chunk from the bowl. Alam slurped it into his mouth with relish. Only on the highest plateaus can they be found. Charlie cringed at the power inside that voice. It would brook no reluctance for tradition. Food was scarce in the mountains, and the offer to break bread at a man's table was almost a sacred gesture. To refuse the headman's hospitality would invoke a harsh response. Stealing himself against his revulsion, Charlie gingerly retrieved a dripping piece of flesh from the bowl. His knuckle brushed one of the fingers as he did so, and his stomach turned. Suddenly angry at his squeamishness, he stuffed the quivering morsel of meat into his mouth and swallowed. There was no sense in his reaction to the meal. Charlie was well aware the tribesmen in northern Pakistan ate monkey, camel, and God knew what else. This was a place apart from the rest of the world, and if the sight of a few monkey fingers in his dinner was going to shock him, then he had no right being there. Good. Charlie watched Alam's dark, omniscient eyes for a moment. He answered honestly. It is new to me, but the flavor is good, yes. A knowing smile spread over the angular face. Americans, the headman chuckled silently. You have peculiar appetites. We do. He tore a hunk from the flat brown bread that covered one side of the table. Munching it, he said, We enjoy bread. It is so. Alam laughed sharply. The rest of the meal went well. Charlie scooped just once more from the bowl, shutting his eyes demonstrably and gulping. The headman was amused and his gesture was enough. He allowed Charlie to fill up on bread and a dish of bitter root salad without further comment. When the dishes were cleared and it was time to speak of important things, Charlie opened the conversation casually. This is a safe place for your people. The terrorist groups leave you alone here? Taliban. Yes, but there are others. Jaish, Sipa'i Sahaba, and Al-Qaeda. All the displaced guerrilla outfits flee into these mountains. Not so, Alam corrected gently. Not here, at the roof of the world. It is very defensible, as you say. It is a good place to live. Charlie glanced at the shadow on the other side of the tent. Here, the headman's three wives dwelt in silence. You have a large family? The headman snorted in disgust. <laughs> my seed is tainted. Five daughters and not one son to take my place. God has blessed me with all else, and in this, he has cursed me. His will be done. Alam nodded his appreciation at the traditional idiom. His will be done. After a few seconds, Charlie asked, The men I seek, do you know of them? Have they visited this place? The headman's sallow cheeks puckered with distaste. None of your people come to my village. The air is too thin and the peaks too dangerous. Have you heard anything of them? There were two. An American reporter named Rainey and a British. 
The Englishman's name is Arthur Anderson. Why do you ask me this? Howl to the stars if you wish an answer. I know nothing of these men. He phrased his next question delicately. Are there other villages further up the mountain? I will not stop until I find these two. Search in Gilje for Masuj for men such as these. You will not find them here. I tracked them to Masuj. One week ago, they passed through here. Anger flashed in Alam's eyes. They look at the base of the mountain where they have surely fallen to their deaths. Mindful of the gleaming scimitar propped against the tent pole behind the headman, Charlie said, That may be their unfortunate fate. Though harming a peaceful traveler without good reason might bring unwelcome attention from the outside world, he knew his life could be in danger if Alam became incensed. Why do you seek these men? Are you American intelligence? No. Thomas Rainey is my friend. I am a reporter like him. And the other man? I do not know Anderson. They traveled together. That's all I know about him. He is a climber, and I believe he is acting as Thomas's guide. <laughs> a British? No mystery that they are lost if a Britisher is their guide. He has traveled these lands before. They are fools to come here, as you may be. Alam glowered with irritation. I know nothing of these men. He thrummed his thick fingers over the scarred tabletop. Why do you risk so much? For a friend? The truth was unacceptable, Charlie knew. If he told Alam that, like Thomas, he was interested in the influx of weapons brought to Pakistan from the north, the headman would react violently. It was an important story, but the tribal leaders in the area were resistant to its propagation. They feared the Pakistani government would try to interfere with their way of life if the truth were known. And they were probably right. Charlie said, I seek only my friend Thomas. He is late in contacting his editor, also a friend. And does the American CIA seek him also? I do not know them. I am a man who seeks only his friend. Charlie reached into the breast pocket of his khaki shirt and extracted the folded photograph. He displayed it on the table. This is a picture of Thomas and I when we were in school together at Columbia University. In the picture, he had his arm over Thomas's shoulder and the both of them were laughing. Charlie's blonde hair was much shorter now, and he wondered if Alam might comment on the change. The headman remained silent, and Charlie added, He may be wearing a class ring. He extended his left hand. Like this. Alam squinted at the red stone for a moment. Is it a ruby? No, he smiled. Only a sentimental value for the wearer. Let me hold this ring and I will show it to my people. I will ask for you if any have seen your friend. Charlie hesitated, unsure. Come, Alam urged jovially. You have my assurance that you will not leave my village without it. He slipped off the ring and relinquished it. I will trust you then. I have no proof such as this ring, 
but I too attended school many years ago. Your English is very good, much better than my Urdu. It is to be expected. Alam's wide mouth drew into a smile. You are an infidel after all. I am. Alam looked at the entrance of the tent. And now I, Dyer. Morning swiftly rushes toward us. You will be cared for. He gestured, and a woman dressed in traditional black garb appeared in the opening. Only her bright brown eyes shone over the niqab that covered her face. Charlie rose stiffly. He staggered toward the woman on shaky legs. Peace be with you, my friend. Alam's voice was rich with affection. Peace be with you. When he got outside, the air was cool. Charlie followed the woman along a row of tents and disheveled huts to the outskirts of the village. The woman pointed to a low tent. She said, try and sleep. He thanked her in Urdu and went inside. His pack was already there. Charlie searched through it in the darkness, grateful that nothing had been stolen. He stretched out on the camel hides at the rear of the tent and fell asleep almost immediately. Shouting woke Charlie up a few hours later, several loud voices outside the tent, angry voices. He roused himself up and was amused to find a woman lying beside him. She sobbed something and ran out the same woman who had shown him the tent, he was sure. Why had she snuck back when he'd been sleeping? Alarm shot through him as he followed her outside. He knew she would be chastised severely by her people for lying with a man that wasn't her husband. Why had she done it? There was a riot going on outside. The woman was being dragged away by two tall men. An old woman in a ragged gray dress hounded her, wielding a stick. The old woman was screaming invocations, as was the crowd of angry people gathered. The woman being dragged shouted something, an accusation. Charlie's heart grew cold as he recognized the phrase, Ismaturi! Rape. He began shaking his head. No! It's not true! Alam strode out of the crowd, his face resolute. You would desecrate my family! No, please, Charlie was terrified. I didn't do anything wrong, I swear. Infidel, Alam shouted. He turned to the imam, an old man with a long gray beard, and said something too low for Charlie to hear. I never touched her, pleaded Charlie. Stroking his beard, the old man grimly ordered that Charlie should be seized. Two strapping young men swiftly came up and grabbed Charlie's arms. He shouted and sobbed, but none of them would listen. The two men forced him down on the ground, pinning his face into the cold earth. Charlie struggled, but they were too strong to resist. His eyes caught the glint of silver, and he stared in horror at the deadly sword clutched in the hand of the thin man who approached. Charlie screamed, No! You can't do this! The sword raised high. Charlie desperately shifted his neck and sought the face of the headman standing nearby. Alam, he shouted. Do not do this thing. I have done nothing. 
Air screeched as the sword came down. In his last moment, Charlie saw the indifferent expression on Alam's face as he fingered first one, then the other ring in each of his hands. Their red stones glimmered in the morning light, and Charlie knew the truth. There was no white monkey in the mountains. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories, The White Monkey, written by Christine, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Melon, Umcorps, and Tom Robson. And sound effects were provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. You can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. T-shirts and mugs are available at www.gumroad.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. So, until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.